Well, um, Manus Island is, we always hear stories about Manus Island and what a gulag it is and so on. And we've got refugee activists like Yasmin Abdul-Magid, again disrespecting Anzac Day this year by hijacking the motto, Lest We Forget, to turn it into Lest We Forget Manus Island. And these activists and Greens and assorted other compassionistas have spent the past four years branding the Manus Island Offshore Processing Centre which is a central and crucial part of our border protection. They've labelled that a gulag, concentration camp and a shameful stain on Australia's moral character. And when the government actually closed it last year and the 800-odd male asylum seekers were given new accommodation by the government, Australian government, on that island, suddenly there was nothing more inhumane than closing the so-called gulag. And we saw all sorts of protests as the activists changed tack. Now, the story that we keep hearing from Manus Island has all been one way. It's all been the story that the activists want to tell until now. A new book to be published this week, Manus Days, The Untold Story of Manus Island, tells the story from the point of view of an Australian without an axe to grind. And Michael Coates joins us on the line. Good afternoon, Michael. Thanks for having me back on. Now, you didn't have any view on the government's border protection policies. You were an ex-soldier and you just um, answered an ad. Tell us how you got to go on to Manus Island. Um, yeah, it was pretty much uh, like you said. Um, I'd been uh, been out of the army for a bit, travelling overseas, came back, realised I needed to sort of get a job and yeah, get back into the real world and... Um, Actually, a few mates of mine were already working over there and it was one of those sort of uh, not-what-you-know-it-to-you-know situations where they just gave me an email address and it was pretty much on from there. Got a a phone call late one night and basically got asked if I could uh, come in the next day. So it was all pretty quick when it all all got running there. Mm. So what did you find there? You know and you've seen since the sort of story that the refugee activists claim. Is it, um, what are the conditions like for the asylum seekers? Were they very badly treated? Uh, Well, um, obviously it's gone now, like you said. So at the time, um, I arrived there not knowing what to to expect at all, but uh, quickly saw that it wasn't exactly how it was being... uh, portrayed in a, in a lot of media things I'd seen and a lot of that I think was maybe not even a not even deliberate but just a just a just a case of journalists using you know some random google image that might be very 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 out of date and uh, a lot of the buildings that used to get shown you know implying that they were the uh, accommodation for the transferees there were just um old abandoned naval housing on the naval base there that had been, you know, left abandoned for the last 30 years. So it wasn't exactly what we were uh, seeing when we arrived. Uh, Basically, the transferees there lived in the same conditions as the Australian and uh, other expat staff living there on the island. And uh, the book is fascinating for all the sort of observations of daily life on Manus and the sort of insights into the characters of the these diverse groups of asylum seekers. Um, did you tell us about them? Did you feel sorry for them? What were their stories? Were they genuinely fleeing persecution? Uh, well, I, could, I can only go on my um, my uh, you know personal interactions with people. I don't know everyone's um, genuine uh, 
backgrounds. There was people a lot higher than me that whose job it was to assert and all that. So um, I can only go on what I uh, what I experienced myself. And people can't like lump them all into the same category. They were from such uh, different places and different situations. They really had just as little as in, a little in common with one another than they had with us, really. But um, there was what I quickly noticed was that there was a big gap between say, someone who is fleeing from a country that you'd consider a war zone, such as Afghanistan or Iraq or Somalia, and persons that were coming from a more developed and, you know, say, in inverted commas, a stable country such as Iran, where you were getting the situation where it was people maybe leaving because they didn't want to be held responsible for some of their own actions that they may have been, um, been responsible for. Yes, you you write about some of the Iranians. You you describe them as party boys who were drinking and womanising mm. and indulging in vices that had not been so easily available back in Iran. In and they'd spent months in Thailand, and then they decided to buy passage to Australia with people smugglers. Yeah, a lot of the time it was like being in the middle of an episode of like Jersey Shore or something. The way that they were <laughs> carrying on, but um, yeah, there was um. That became apparent pretty quick, you know, because people have the just the impression that, like I say, they're all maybe starving, desperate people. But uh, when you talk about the Iranians, a lot of them came from, like you said, uh, middle-class backgrounds. They were quite uh, not short of cash and resources, and they had had quite a, uh, let's say, quite an adventure between leaving Iran and being intercepted and ending up on Manus Island. And what so, were they like to deal with? Were they pleasant and cooperative or something else? Well, Many, many were. Many but the were Iranians, fine, you know. the yeah, party um, Yeah, or oh, them. Um, it was just a case of uh, they'd grown up in a society where, you know, especially being males in a society like that from a, uh, a higher part of society, they weren't used to being told no. They weren't used to uh, not getting their own way with things. And that uh, that spilled over into how they behaved while they were at the centre. And you also write about becoming quite disillusioned about the way some of these, um, particularly the Iranians, but some of the troublemakers among that group, um, the violence and sexual assaults, the way they treated locals. Tell us about that. Yeah, uh, people, especially in like last year when the centre was closing, a lot was being said in the media about how dangerous the uh, local communities in Manus Island were. And um, obviously, you know, like like anywhere in the world, there's a, you know, you do have to be aware of, aware of the surroundings. But what, what wasn't spoken about was, um, you know, this isn't the highlands of New Guinea we're talking about. It's a pretty uh, sleepy island sort of province where people just go fishing and sort of mind their own business. But uh, when you've got that element there that weren't happy with their situation, that weren't used to not getting their own way and were actually quite... Um, uh, let's say, combative towards the situation there. They did not win any friends with the local community who were actually quite accommodating to them early on, and that did lead to a very, very uh, serious, you know, deterioration relations between the local community and them, and I think they bit off a lot more they could chew, as we saw later when uh, a few pretty major disturbances and riots did occur there. Mm. Yes, look, the book is fascinating and uh, I must say it's a great credit to you that you were able to write it and uh, published by Connor Court and that will be published uh, on later this later this week and I'll be uh, launching it. And, of course, you do. Uh, you're quite um, 
open-minded. I mean, it's quite a balanced book because you do talk about the other asylum seekers, the Rohingya and uh, so on, who you, the Tamil and Hazaras, who uh, you say were genuine refugees and uh, were a pleasure to be around. Anyway, I, I recommend that book to everybody. It's a fascinating look at a story that we don't really hear much about. Thanks so much, Michael, and good luck. Okay, thanks for having me on, Miranda. That was Michael Coates, uh, who worked on Manus Island and has just published a book, Manus Days. News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winder? <laughs> <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. <laughs> Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from.